Turn your Bibles this morning, if you will, to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. I have another message that I honestly, uh, I've, the Lord laid this message on my heart probably three months ago, maybe more, and I've been trying to put it together and work on it, but something always comes up to kind of interrupt it, and that's, that's exactly what happened with this message this morning. God laid this on my heart last night. I started putting the message together, and, and then, you know, my wife picks the songs, and of course, I don't, I don't have too much to do with the special music as far as what songs are sung and all of that stuff, but to me, it's just amazing how God always puts all of that together, and uh, the message this morning really goes right along with a lot of the songs that we sang and, and even, the, even the song that they just sang. Um, but you know, uh, our, our theme this year is forward by faith. And, um, you know, God's really put that to the test this year. We're praying for a miracle with our building. Well, you look around and there's, there's lots and lots of families that are gone this morning. Many of them that are dealing with very difficult things, physical, physical difficulties. And, um, you know, God's putting them through those physical trials and we're going through those things together. We want to move forward for God, but the only way to do that is by faith. If, if we could see every step next, then it wouldn't be faith. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him. So the fact that we have to move forward on faith means that we get an opportunity to please God by showing our faith in him. But we have to understand and we have to see that, that, that a, there's a whole lot bigger purpose in our lives than even what we can see. And, and, and that God has larger answers to our prayers than, than we're even able to anticipate and that God has a thousand ways of fulfilling his promises in the lives of those who are willing to trust him. But we also have to be forewarned by the knowledge that God's wondrous greatness and this faith that we put in him so that we can be forearmed against the discouragement of disappointment. Because there's going to be a lot of times when we pray and ask God for something and we're not going to see that answer. We're going to expect God to move. We're going to expect God to work, and we're not going to see it happen in the way that we expected it to happen. We may not even see it happen at all, but we have to be forearmed against the disheartening of our soul that makes our hearts a ground, a very fruitful ground for the devil to sow some of the worst type of seeds possible in the life of a Christian. And so I want to draw your attention to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego this morning. It's a pretty familiar story to most of us. We heard it growing up in Sunday school. We've Heard it many times, even as adults, I suppose. We're not going to read the whole story for the sake of time, but Nebuchadnezzar built this magnificent idol that he said everyone was going to bow down and worship. And when the sound of the music played, you better bow down. And if you don't, then the penalty was that you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And it's at that point that we pick it up here in verse number 8. Daniel chapter 3, verse number 8. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee, they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And I can imagine in my mind, before we go on, you know, here is everybody in the entire kingdom bowing down before this altar, and here's three men who didn't have a choice other than to be there at this ceremony, but they stand. 
You can imagine how they stick out, standing up when so many are bowing themselves low to the ground to this idol. And of course, they're always looking for an opportunity to accuse the Jews of of worshiping their God instead of the God of the Babylonians or whoever else it happened to be. And so they bring this accusation before the king and they say, those three men, and it's very obvious that they were not making an attempt to bow down. It's not just that they couldn't get down on their knees. It's not just that they didn't go very low. They stood. They stood when everybody else bowed. And you said, O king, that anybody that does not bow down was going to spend a little bit of time in the fiery furnace. And I say a little bit of time because they're not going to last very long in the furnace that the king had made. But it says this in verse number 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? I think it's interesting that he called them by name. He knew who they were. They stuck out to him. He called them by name and he says, is it, is it true? Did you not bow down to my idol? Verse 15. Now if you be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not... You shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. We don't even have a need to answer you. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he'll deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But I want you to notice the three simple words as you find them in Daniel chapter 3 and verse number 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So here it is. We find these three Hebrew boys. I don't know how old they were at that point. Probably not much older than teenagers at the very least, probably in their 20s. They've been put over these men because they, the, the, uh, over these provinces because they stood out, because they, they, they had integrity. And they were men who were willing to stand on the principles of the word of God, and God blessed them in that way. But here they are challenged not to worship God at all. They're challenged to join this, this fickle crowd in acclaiming the king's image to an earthly king, to the degradation of the king who was in their hearts. They're threatened with a burning, fiery furnace in front of them as an alternative to obedience. You don't obey, you're going to be thrown into that fiery furnace. And this is the answer of those three Hebrew children. They said, our our God is able to deliver us. More than that, our God will deliver us out of your hand, O king. More than that, if he does not deliver us, we're still not going to worship your idol. If he doesn't deliver us, our faith is not at an end. If he doesn't deliver us, our faith and our resolve is entirely unshaken, We still believe God. And it's those three little words that I want to preach to you about this morning. The three little words that represented the faith that we find in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But if not, I think there's some wonderful things that we can learn from those three little words this morning. But let's pray, and we'll look at a couple of those this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for an opportunity to be here. Thank you for an opportunity to open your word. And God, I pray that this message would be a help to us. When sometimes our faith does not become sight. And God, I pray that you'd use the message in our hearts to bring us closer to you, to help us move as we have prayed so often this year forward by faith. 
And I pray that you would use the message this morning. We'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see is this. Life does not often go as planned. And that might be a simple statement. You might, you might find that everywhere else in the world. Uh, you might find that in the business world. You might find that in, in, in somebody who's, who's not even a Christian. It's not, it's not some profound thing from the Word of God. But it may be for you and for me that the hopes that we have for an answer to our prayers are not going to be realized just in the way that we imagined they would. And I know for a lot of us, we, we pray and we have all these scenarios laid out. This is exactly how God's going to answer this prayer. He's going to do this miracle. He's going to do these things for me. And this is the way that it's going to go. And then it doesn't go that way. Life doesn't often go as planned. It may be that you're going to find that God works by human cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And that your way of deliverance might be down the Via Dolorosa. That's the road that Jesus walked on his pathway to the cross. It may be that you've seen a movement of God in your life, and, and that's not necessarily going to lead you to a revival. It's going to lead you to, to great opposition by Satan. Satan's going to fight back against all of those things, and it may be uh, that as we're trying as a church to move forward in faith, as we're trying in church to move closer in holiness to the Word of God and closer in holiness to God himself, that we're not going to see a great in-gathering of souls at all. We might find that we have a great revolt of worldly Christians. I hope not. But it very well may be that that's the way we see things play out because things don't usually go the way that we plan. Maybe that you're going into a pathway that's dark with the mysteries of the ways that God is dealing with you this morning. Maybe God's been working on your heart about something and it's in, in, in a path that step forward. You can't see that next step. You're going to be sidetracked because of the things that in some shape or form are bound to happen, then the world that's looking on, it's taking its view of Jesus Christ, it's taking his measure of Christianity by the way that you are faithful to the word of God, the way that you're faithful to him, the way that you're faithful to, to doing the things that he's called you to do. If that's, if that's what their measure is of what Christianity is and you falter, then they're going to falter. And those who are looking at you that may eventually come to know Jesus Christ as their savior will never come to know Jesus Christ as their savior because you faltered in your faith. We have to see to it that our faith has an alternative to our expectations. See, God blesses the Christian who says something similar to what these three Hebrew boys said to the great king. The greatest king in, in all of that time period, for that matter, boasted himself against God. But they came to him and they said, we're not going to serve you. We're not going to bow down to your idols. We're not going to worship your image. Even if God does not do for us what we've trusted him to do, we're not going to bow down to your idol. We're not going to worship your image. Oh, that God would give us faith like that. Now, some people might see those words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and think, wow, what faithlessness they have. If not, but no, I see that as the ex exact opposite. Read their words of protest there in Daniel chapter 3. Our God is able and he will. But if not, we're still going to recognize him as entirely supreme. If not, and we still see God as greater in our hearts than all of this false worship that we see going on around us. If he doesn't do just what we thought he was going to do, we still believe, though there's not even any evidence to support the fact that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. That's the faith that accepts God's will, not simply as a foregone conclusion, but with enthusiasm. That's the way that we need to go forward in faith. True faith doesn't see only the commands of God. I think it also sees the contradictions of God. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, if you, you'll find that the Christian life is a, a life of constant contradiction. Christ contradicting my conceptions. Christ, my, my teacher, contradicting my impulse and my goals. Christ, my master, bringing everything within me into conformity with his holiness. That's what he's trying to do in us. 
And sometimes that does not go the way that we plan. That's not faithlessness. It's faith that says, but if not, my course is already made clear. But if not, my determination has already been made. If not, my resolve is completely unaltered because it's been made in the conscious presence of God and on the promises of his own short word. Don't you see that it's by the contradictions many times that God teaches us in ways that otherwise he would not be able to teach us. If everything went the way that we wanted it to go, then how could we ever grow in our Christian life? How could we ever get to the point where we see that God is everything that we need? I came across this little poem, and I think it expresses this idea well. If all my years were summer, could I know what my Lord means by his made white as snow? If all my days were sunny, could I say, in his fair land, he wipes all tears away? If I were never weary, could I keep close to my heart? He gives his loved ones sleep. Were no griefs mine, might I not come to deem the life eternal but a baseless dream? My winter and my tears and weariness, even my griefs may be his way to bless. I call them ills, yet that can surely be nothing but love that shows my Lord to me. There's a lot of uncertainties that lie ahead of a lot of us, each one of us actually, but God's purpose and his ways are a whole lot higher than ours. We can get to the point where we can say, but if not, Lord, I still trust you. If not, I'm still yours as much as I ever was, as much yours in the darkness as I was yours in the light. And now that I'm walking through that darkness, nothing has changed. But if not, fill our hearts with peace. It'll put that stability in our lives. If we can get to that point where we can say, God, but if not, if we can arrive at the point of this alternative to what we might call a, a disappointed faith, we're moving in the direction I believe that God's trying to point us. Most Christians, once, once they put their faith in Jesus Christ, not having seen it work out the way they expected it, move into self-pity. I've been there myself. Maybe you've been there too. God didn't work this out for me the way that I wanted it to work out. What's God doing against me? Why does God hate me? I'm trying to live for him and he does all of these things against me. We move into that self that self-pity, when God contradicts our expectations and our desires, a lot of Christians lose their faith and they start to backslide. For a, lot, for a lot of people, that disappointment becomes disbelief. And because they're disappointed that God didn't do everything for them the way they expected him to do it, they move into disbelief and they say, God can never do it. I trusted him and he failed me. And they stop believing. They stop moving forward by faith. See, we're measuring God on the tiny scales of what we can understand and comprehend. And that's our big problem. A lot of Christians who claim to have faith in God leave utterly disheartened. They leave utterly depressed and disappointed. And they ultimately, they end up as a deserter because they never learn to say, but if not, my God, but if not. We find ourselves often in situations that don't turn out the way that we plan. And we feel that God's let us down. That's a Christian who doesn't stand firm on the word of God and for God. He loses his integrity. He loses his vision of the will of God for his life because one experience of his faith made him stagger at the promises of God. Doesn't the Bible say that Abraham staggered not at the promises of God? Look what Abraham had to deal with. Look what Abraham went through. And yet, even when he did not see God's hand moving, even when he didn't see God working things out the way that he saw everything perfectly working out, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that he staggered not at the promises of God. On the other hand, there's a lot of people who do learn to say with those three Hebrew boys in Daniel, but if not, there won't be any deviation from what I've been called to do. There's not going to be any deviation from the stand that I've taken on the word of God. 
But if not, if I'm not filled with that ecstatic joy, if I don't see the fruits of revival show up in my work, I just plan to go on and do the next thing for God. If I don't get that full sunshine on my face and have that beautiful warm feeling all over my body while I'm walking through life, I can at least follow the light that I do have. And God's illuminated that next step. And all I need to know is that next step. I don't need to see 10 years into the future. I don't need to see the way that my life is going to end. I just need to see that next step. And I need to take that next step in faith. Okay, if I can't see what God has in the future, I can at least see that one step. God's given me enough light to walk by, and that's all I need. If not, I'm, gonna stop. I'm not going to stop fighting against sin. I'm not going to drop out of the conflict with the devil. I'm not going to lower my aim even if I fail. And that's honestly the great failure of a lot of Christians. It's not that, it's not that we fail from time to time. It's that we aim so low. And by the grace of God, forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forward unto those things that are before for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Even if the battle seems to be going against me, there will be no deserting the calling for me. You see, it happens so often. Businessman that, that makes a decision to seek first the kingdom of God and hopes that all of these things will be added unto him, right? And then he goes out into the business world and he contradicts everything that the business world does with its dishonesty and its disloyalty and all of these other things. He goes against the world and their methods and he often finds subtractions instead of additions. He'll find less profits at the end of the year instead of more. What he finds is that Taking up his cross is not some emotional, sentimental thing to, to sing about. It's heavy. The road is narrow. It's difficult for the man who says, but if not, I don't intend to pull down that flag. If not, I don't intend for a moment to desert my Lord because I can never unsee what I've seen in him. I can never undo what he's done for me. I can never unlearn what, he, what I've learned from him. I can never lose that work that he's begun in me. Let the chips fall where they may. I'm going on with God. We only follow the Lord and serve him as long as he fulfills all of your dreams. And sooner or later, you're going to stop following him. Don't you understand that things don't often go the way that we plan, but it has to be that way or we would never trust him in faith. The way God really works is he gives you a dream. You seek to fulfill that dream. That dream crashes and burns. And you realize that he's the point. And then you pursue him, and you find out that it wasn't about that dream in the first place. It was always about him. Sometimes God lets us hit, hit rock bottom so we can realize that he is the rock at the bottom. And if God never let us get down that low, if God never let us hit the bottom, then we would never understand that the point is not about living wonderfully. The point is not about being comfortable. The point is not about having everything that we ever dreamed of. The point is not having everything play out in our lives the way that we want it to play out. It's about him. It's about knowing him. Isn't that what Paul said? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection? That I may know him and the fellowship of his suffering? That's what Paul said. That's the point of our lives. It's not to be comfortable. It's not to be happy. It's to know Jesus Christ. And if everything always went the way that we wanted it to go, we'd never get to that point in our lives. But a lot of people never get past the but if not stage at the beginning of that whole progression. Life doesn't often go as planned, but also, number two, I want you to see this. Faith is not founded on a subjective experience, but on God himself. The Bible says that my faith is not founded on the wisdom of men. Right? My faith doesn't stand in, in, the, in the memory of some emotional high that I had at a, at a conference or some higher plane that I reached by listening to a message. 
Our faith does not rest on anything that's visible. It rests on that which is within the veil where Jesus is. Because of that and that, and that calm confidence of a child, I can say, like these three Hebrew young boys said, I'm expecting God to do wonderful things for me. I'm expecting God to, 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 to break down iron gates before me, to beat down all my enemies around me. I'm expecting God to give me great and wonderful power in his work. I expect that God will help me to see many souls saved and see wonderful revival all around me. But if not, but if not, I'm still going on with him. I'm persuaded that he doeth all things well. Oh, and that's where we find a, such a great contradiction in the prosperity gospel. Uh, you know, we, we, people making proclamations all the time. I'm proclaiming this here and now. Here's a proclamation. This is what God's going to do, and I'm going to stand on that promise. And, hey, we have the promises in the word of God for a reason. But what happens so often is we rely on that prosperity gospel. I'm proclaiming this here and now. This is the proclamation that I'm going to make, and God's going to do it. And then God doesn't do it, and, and they fail, and they quit. And they give up because I made this proclamation and I didn't see that proclamation come to pass because they never got to the point where they say, but if not, but if not. Let me point out to you that God's response to this attitude and this spirit is to do bigger things than we trust him for, not smaller. These men told Nebuchadnezzar, our God is able to deliver us from your fire. Think, think about this story. Our God is able to deliver us from that fire. What do we care about your old furnace? Go ahead and heat that furnace seven times. That's what we see in the rest of the passage. Nebuchadnezzar gave them another opportunity. He said, all right, maybe you didn't hear the music. Or maybe I didn't put enough pressure on you. You're going to stand right here, and when that music is played, I'm going to give you one more chance to bow down. And that music played, and they stood. They stood in the face of Nebuchadnezzar and said, we're not going to bow down to your idol. And Nebuchadnezzar was mad. He was angry, and he said, all right. Go heat that fire up seven times hotter. And they heated it up so hot that the men who were putting that, that wood or that, that, uh, that gas or whatever they were doing that they were putting on the fire died because the fire was so hot, even standing outside of that furnace. And they said, we don't care. Go ahead and heat that furnace up seven times hotter. Doesn't affect us. It doesn't make us sweat with fear. We're absolutely calm in front of your fire. But mind you, God did a much greater thing than delivering them from that furnace. He didn't deliver them from the furnace. He delivered them in the furnace. And that's a far greater thing. Oh, it would have been great to hear this story how God put the fire out and the fire disappeared and they never had to go into the fire. But think about how great this story is and the fact that they were put in there. They walked around in there. They talked to each other in there. And not just that, but there was a fourth man in that fire, and it was the Son of God. They got to spend time with the Son of God in that fire. What an amazing thing God did for them. He didn't deliver them out of the furnace. He delivered them in the furnace. I'd love to know what their conversation was as they were walking around in that fire. The Bible doesn't tell us what they said. But they were talking, and they were walking around in there, and the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar was so shocked, he pulled them out. And the Bible says that even their clothes didn't smell like, not only were they not singed, not only was nothing burnt, they didn't even smell like they had been even near a fire, let alone in it. God delivered them in that fire. God wants to do greater things for us than we can even trust him for. Jesus Christ came to walk with them in that furnace. That's the kind of thing God does to the men who have 
the spirit of God's going to deliver me. I have full confidence in God. He's going to work it out somehow. But if not, what if not? And those who have that spirit, God delivers them in a greater way than we can even comprehend. They said, he's going to deliver us out of your hand, O king. He didn't do it at all. He did something far greater. He changed the king's heart. The king was shocked to see what had transpired. Verse number 26, we see in Daniel chapter 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, and he spake, and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Could you imagine what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego must have thought when they walked out of the fire and heard the king say those words? Ten minutes before, he was cursing them for not bowing down at his image, cursing them for pretending that they had some other God beside the God that he had set up. And oh, in that short course of time, as they walked around in that fire with the Son of God, Nebuchadnezzar's heart was changed. And God did an amazing thing because they were willing to say, God, we're going to follow you. And God, I know you're going to deliver us. And God, I know that you're going to make a way for us. But if not, but if not, our course is not going to be changed. Our minds are already made up and we're going to follow. We're going forward by faith. God's going to do infinitely larger and more influential things in our life if we'll stand with him. It's not an isolated incident in the Bible either. We find this principle running all throughout the word of God. God said to Abraham, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, sacrifice him. Put him on the altar. I know he's your only son. I know you were 100 years old when you had him. But I want you to sacrifice him on that altar. He's mine. I can see Isaac and Abraham walking up that mountain together. And I hear Isaac say to his father, Father, here's the wood for the sacrifice, but where's the lamb? And Abraham, knowing what is about to happen, turns to him and he says, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. But if not, God's will is going to be carried out. But if not, there's going to be a sacrifice. My purpose is entirely undeterred. My obedience to God is entirely unaltered. My devotion to God is entirely unmoved, even if he doesn't provide a lamb. Even if I have to put my son to the knife, God's still good. And God still deserves it, and my course has not changed. That's the secret of Abraham's fruitfulness, honestly, his faithfulness. That's the secret of God's blessing to the nations through that man. We see it again, and turn over to Job chapter 13. A man who lost everything. His home is gone. His friends are against him. His health is gone. Even his wife didn't stand with him in his faith. He sits there mourning 
And under the morning, there is a note of triumph. He says, God shall bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold him. But then he says, but if not, verse 15 of Job 13, though he slay me, but if not, yet will I trust him. Even if he doesn't bring me out to the place where I behold his face, faith, face in righteousness, I'll still trust him. I know that my Redeemer liveth. Turn over to Romans chapter 8, because I think of Paul too. Paul threw everything of his faith on Jesus Christ, and yet he faced shipwreck and beating and stoning and ridicule and mockery. But oh, how wonderful are the magnificent declarations of Paul's faith that we find here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 38. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. In verse 37, just before that, he says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. And he ended where? In prison. Sitting in between and chained to two guards, waiting for the trial that was probably going to end his life. Well, Paul had this, but if not, spirit in him. And if you want to read the expressions that Paul had as he sat there in the prison, read those prison epistles. Turn to the words that came from his heart in that prison as he wrote, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. I'm willing to stand for Jesus Christ, and I know that he's going to deliver me. But if not, nothing's changed. Nothing will change. Before I close, there's somebody higher, greater than Abraham, greater than Job, greater than Paul and all the others. There's Jesus Christ himself. Oh, beloved, listen for a moment. Away yonder in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But then we find in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, but if not, but if not, thy will be done. That's the spirit that made the world's redemption an accomplished fact. And that's the spirit in you and in me that will fill our lives with this heavenly value. As we go out from the throne of God down to the gutter of sin and do the work that the Redeemer has called us to do. Oh, that's the spirit and the only spirit, which means victory beyond anything that we can conceive, beyond anything that we can comprehend. Oh, that God, we would beg God for this spirit. When your prayers are delayed instead of seeing them answered quickly. But if not? When you can't see the next step right now, when God's greater thoughts are brought into conflict with our measly little mindset that we have. When the things that you thought God must do for you, he still keeps you waiting for that's when we need to beg God for the Spirit to say some such words as these. But if not, as I close, let me remind you that life does not often go as planned. The faith is not founded on a subjective experience, but on God himself. And lastly, I want you to understand this. The world is utterly helpless before a Christian who has learned to say, but if not. The world is utterly helpless before the Christian who laughs 
at the shams that the world tries to put out there as something that's wonderful for us to try to obtain because he knows what they're worth. The world is completely helpless before the man who goes into the fire for God with a song in his heart. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. The world can't light a fire. However strong the flames are that can, that can do more than burn up the bonds that they were held in and give them greater liberty in Jesus Christ. Across the path of night leads on the path of God, not where the flesh delighteth the feet of Jesus trod. What though the path be lonely and dark and bleak and lone, those crags and tangles cross it. Praise God, we will go on. That's the spirit. And just like the world is helpless before a Christian of that kind of faith, God cannot help but be anything but truly faithful to that Christian. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that spirit that we need to have. Oh, I'm going to go forward for God by faith. Hey, we're going to trust that God's going to give us a building, and within a month, we're going to have a building. It's been 14 months. Hey, God's putting me through this physical trial, and I know that I'm just going to have enough faith, and God will lead me through it, and it's been six months, and you're still going through it, and you still don't have answers, and you still don't know what's going to happen next, and the doctors still don't know what to do. Hey, where's God at? God promised that he's going to deliver me. God promised all of these things that we find in his word. I'm trying to go forward by faith, and I don't see anything moving. We need to get to the point, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. I know God wants to deliver us. I know that he's the, the true God. I know that he lives in heaven. I know that he's got some great things for me. And he's going to deliver me out of the fire. But if not, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we're not serving thy gods. We're not going to worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Perhaps you need to come down to an old-fashioned altar this morning. Say, oh God, I'm expecting, I'm expecting so much from you. I'm expecting you to do great things. I'm expecting you to do wonderful things. But if not, if you keep me waiting, if you have to discipline me to teach me patience, right here, right now, I'm making my promise to you that I'm going to stand with you. Nothing's going to change. I've made up my mind. My course is set. My determination is there. That God, I know you got great things for me. God, I know you want to do a lot of great things through me. God, I know that you want to give me a good life. And I know that you're going to deliver me. But if not, but if not, God, keep my faith in you strong. And I'll tell you what's going to happen on the backside of it probably not going to work out the way that you expected it to work out. Probably not going to play out in your, the way that you had it all planned out in your mind. But God is going to give you something far beyond what you can even ask or think. What does the Bible say? He's going to give us exceeding abundantly above not all just that we ask, but even what we can think. I never dreamed that this is the way that it would work out. And yet God did it because I got to the point where I was able to say, God, I know you're going to work it out. God, I know you're going to deliver. God, I know you're going to do this and you're going to do that and you're going to do all the other things that you promised that you would do. But if not, you're still good. If not, I'm still going forward for you. 
If not, I still have a duty to follow you, and I will. Oh, that we could get to that mindset and that attitude. But if not, and still keep going forward in faith. That's what God's looking for from us. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. God, I pray that you'd help us to get to the point that we trust you. We have faith in you. We know that you're going to deliver us, that we know that you're going to work all these things out. But if not, and right here and right now, my Lord, in all the sincerity of my soul that I'm completely, absolutely to the last candle flicker of my life, yours. No matter what happens, no matter how I feel let down, no matter how I feel disappointed, no matter how I feel discouraged, I pray, God, that you'd help me to never desert because you're a great God. And I pray that you'd help us all to have that faith, the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that can trust in God but can say, hey, if not, nothing's changed. We're still not going to follow the world. We're still not going to go after those things that the devil puts in front of us. We're still going to follow on in faith. And God, where decisions need to be made this morning, I pray that you'd help each one of us to do it. Well, thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand.